So we started this series three weeks ago on who is Jesus. And I played that video originally, and so I wanted to play it again because some of you didn't have the chance or the opportunity to see it. And we were talking about who is Jesus to try to identify again for a generation that's lost their true, genuine understanding of who Jesus was. And as you can see, as they went out on the streets of New York and just asked people, who is Jesus? You, you, you're almost dumbfounded, embarrassed. I, I, I began to weep the first time I watched it because I thought, wow, an entire generation that, that uh, churches are packed on Sundays, but people still don't know Jesus. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he is. They don't know what he represents. They don't know him personally, and they don't know his characteristics, his attributes, and things like that. So we started this series with the first and piece of Jesus that we identify was Jesus was the Son of God, that God came down in the flesh, and he dwelt among us. He wasn't a good little friend of Muhammad. He's not a good prophet. He wasn't a guy like Gandhi who ran around doing good. God came down and dwelt amongst men. The Son of God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the very foundation of humanity, Jesus was there, and He came, and He lived amongst us. And that was our first week. We talked about Him as the Son of God, as the Scriptures call Him. Then we identified the second part of His nature and who He is, and that is we call Him the Servant of All, as the Scriptures call Him. That Jesus didn't just come as a reigning king and set up shop and go meet with all the dignitaries of the world and tell them to bow down and He came to serve humanity so that you and I might have life and life more abundantly. Then the third thing that we looked at last week during the Christmas time was we looked at where the angel came and he stood there with the shepherds wigging their mind out as the angel stands before them glowing in the darkness and says, unto you this day. The Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ is born. The one who will save you and the one who will be your Lord. The one who will save humanity and die on a cross is born in all humility, in a manger, in a stall where you keep your animals, in a feeding trough where you feed your animals. He came in humility and in all of the, uh, all of the difficulty that surrounds that, he came and embraced it so that he could be our Lord and our Savior. And today... As we close out this series on who is Jesus, I want you to leave 2015 and go into 2016 knowing who Jesus really is. He is the victorious king. Can I hear an amen? Come on, you can do better now. He is the victorious king. King, let me hear an amen. He is reigning and ruling. He has overcome all things, and he is seated in heavenly realms, interceding for us, seated at the right hand of the Father, and nothing has destroyed him, nothing has harmed him, nothing has conquered him. He is the victorious king. Do you believe that? Say yes. And look at Revelation chapter 19 as we see in verse 16, John the Revelator, John had this moment where he was taken literally from his body. He was extracted from the first century and God brought him in to the end of all humanity. He saw the end of the world. He saw the battle of Armageddon. He began to write about it in the book of Revelation, the best way he knew how to under, uh, uh, articulate it in, in scripture. And then there, from that point forward, we see in this chapter, right here, put it back on the screen for him, Revelation chapter 19. We see in 19 that he has a vision of the end when the sheep and the goat have been separated and all the Christians are gathered at the great banquet of the, of the, Lord, of the Lamb of God and Jesus comes walking into the room as we're having a great banquet for him and with him and written on his side, look what it says, and on his robe and on his thigh, watch out tattoos, he has this written, King of kings and Lord of lords. 
lords. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. Say it again. King of kings and Lord of lords. He walks in to the banquet, his banquet, at the end of the age, in the beginning of our time in heaven with him forever. And written on his thigh and on his robe is King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to me. He is the victorious king. He won and continues to win. And at the end of humanity, he will win all over again. Are you there? Say yes. So with this revelation, it's so critical that you get this. Otherwise, you just think Jesus is the person that you're serving, and you're trying not to be bad, and you don't want to, and you want to be good, and you're going to take that same mentality into 2016 until you get a revelation that Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, the Son of God, the servant of all, is the victorious King whom you and I serve. Come on, somebody. So let me show you the benefits or the ramifications of him being victorious king. Number one, if he is victorious king, what that means is he conquered an enemy. He conquered an enemy. He can't be victorious king if he hasn't been victorious over something, over someone, over something. He is victorious king. Now, as I think about conquering kings throughout history of humanity, if you go and Google conquering kings, the top 10, you get a list of 10 uh, men who conquered portions of the world during their lifetime. Men such as some of these we'll put up here. We'll put Napoleon Barnapart, who conquered throughout the 1700s and into the 1800s. In fact, he conquered over 720,000 square miles. They could not even be able to articulate how many people he conquered, so they put it over territories by way of square miles. And so anyone who was conquered by Bonaparte actually had to be, uh, become servants of the French. They literally lost whatever position or power they had as Bonaparte came into their area. All their little kings literally had to be stripped of their position. If he let them live, then they became servants. And we see that with Bonaparte. How about this next one? And we see even like Attila the Hun. He conquered literally 1.45 square million square miles. 1.4 million square miles. And you think about the size and the vastness of what that man conquered and how he went about. That was in the 5th century. And he, uh, Attila was known as one of the most ruthless conquerors. He would just murder viciously. Didn't care. Didn't innocent people, if they were in the way, he'd just murder them. And he was a great conqueror. People feared him. You feared if you heard that Attila was down the street. Come on, like a tornado. You feared that he was coming your way. People would flee for their lives as his army would come marching into their areas. And then I think about like Alexander the Great, 356 B.C. And we see that he conquered literally 2.1 million square miles during his reign. And by the age 30, he had conquered much of the, what was then called the known war, world through military force. He took down the mighty Persian kingdom and his empire spread from Gibraltar all the way to Punjab. It's amazing what uh, he did. In fact, they called him a god, Alexander the Great. He was worshipped as a god because of his military prowess and his ability to literally 
take over entire regions of people and make them subservient to his army and to his people. It was magnificent in those days to be these kings and to be these conquerors because everything was available to you. You came into an area, you conquered it, and whatever was their prize became your prize. Whatever they valued became your valuables. Everything that they held dear, you now own because you conquered them and destroyed them. I think about like Hitler, uh, Adolf Hitler from 1889 to 1945. He literally conquered throughout Europe 1.3 million square miles. He, he, he advanced Germany to those places way beyond their original borders and conquered much of what you know as France and much of what you know as Europe and those areas. He conquered them and was making them subservient. And we know how ruthless and how horrible he was, murdering so many Jews and others and just killing. I think, I think the total count that he killed was somewhere around 39 million, 6 million of them being Jews that he just slaughtered just because he thought that they were second-rate humans. And you see this conquering mentality. And then you see like Genghis Khan, by far, in the history of humanity, conquered more than anyone else at 4.8 million square miles. And, and from Russia to China, all into Europe. And Genghis Khan, just his name evoked fear in people. When they would say his name, they were what, fear that he would take them and kill them and destroy their own children and their families. Friend, listen to me. These men brought fear to everyone around them. And they were great conquerors. But at the end of the day, each of these men are dead in a grave. They have all died. They have all been overtaken by death. Come on, somebody. But Jesus, the victorious warrior, he not only conquered sin, he conquered death and the grave. He's the only conqueror to ever have risen from the dead. And the Bible says he is reigning and ruling in all of his majesty. Let me tell you something. Hitler is rotting in a grave. He is no more. His memory, his name does not evoke fear to you or to me. Genghis Khan doesn't make me go, oh my God, I hope he doesn't come my way. Why? Because he is dead. But Jesus Christ conquered what conquered every one of these conquerors. He is the great victorious king. Somebody ought to say, hallelujah. These men were all conquered by death, but Jesus was not conquered by death. He conquered it. The Bible says that he went down into the low bowels of the earth, into Hades, and he took the keys of hell, sickness, sin, and death, and stripped them away from the enemy, and then put the enemy under his feet as a conquered foe. And the Bible says it like this when he was talking to Peter, and we com communicated that a couple weeks ago, and he says, and I'll give these keys to you because you have a revelation that I am the Messiah. And so the keys of hell and death, I give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in the heavens. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose because I have the keys because I've stripped them away from the powers that be. And where, oh death, is your sting? Here's the second understanding about him being victorious king that you and I have to get. See, it's critical that you and I get a revelation of this because otherwise all we're doing is making it through life, mundane, and just trying to serve the Lord and trying not to be bad and trying to be good. Friend, you need to get a revelation that the God that you serve is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there's nothing that has conquered him. In fact, every human has been conquered by death, but Jesus conquered death and the grave. Are you with me? Say yeah. 
Amen. Here's the second piece you got to understand, and that is this. If he is the victorious king, then that means the work is completely finished. He's victorious king. The work is completely finished. The father sent him to destroy the works of the enemy. And the Bible says it like this in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. you got to get a picture of this. So Jesus, once he died on a cross, resurrected, defeated sin, death, and the grave, he then came to heaven and he set himself down. Do you know why he sat down? Because it is finished. It's done. Those of you that have people who work with you or work for you, if you walk up in the job and they're sitting down, what do you do? Lose your mind. I'm paying you not to sit down. There's work still to be done. The king of glory sat down because it's done. It's done. It's finished. There is nothing that has power over him. There is no battle that he did not win. There is no war that will rage that he hasn't already been, has already been fought by him. It's been done. So he can sit down and be done with it. And the Bible says it like this. It says, and in Romans, it says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He's sitting down. He doesn't even need to worry about it. It's already been done. But he'll represent us to the Father and say, hey, listen, you know, Adam, that knothead, he's trying the best he can. But we're going to have to send a couple of angels over there to help him if you don't mind. Yeah, I'll do, okay, let's send it for him. Hey, y'all mind writing a little thing up on that? Give him a little bit of revelation because he's a little hard-headed. He's not quite getting it. Let's get that done. Yeah, that's right. Go, let's take care of that. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He doesn't have to fight. He doesn't have to war. He's already become the victorious king. He won the battle. It's over. He is at rest. He is not at war because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Are you with me? Say yes. And so when he intercedes on our behalf, it's supposed to look like what our representation was supposed to look like. We have senators and representatives in Congress. They come from our area, our part of the country, and they're supposed to represent us. They're supposed to say, yeah, the, the people of South Texas or North Texas, excuse me, and Cedar Hill and Duncanville and all that, they, they desire this. And they're supposed to stand there in front of all the delegations and make decisions representing us. Unfortunately, they represent themselves these days, it seems like. But that's the mental picture when it says that he is interceding for us. He is representing us, our needs, come on somebody, our desires, our hopes, our dreams before the Father. He's representing that and saying, listen, we're going to have to give him a little bit more help. You saw what happened to him when he was a little boy. We're going to have to send this person into his pathway. You're getting free from that bitterness. Let's make that happen. Let's go, angels. Let's get that done. It's already been bought, paid for, victoriously won, but he sits there representing us to the Father. Come on, somebody. And when you get a revelation of that, then you don't go to work hoping that it's a good day. You don't go home to that husband or that wife that drives you insane hoping that this day you don't stab them. When you recognize that Jesus Christ 
is victorious king. And that you and I are servants of the most high God. That he is our Lord, our Savior, our victorious king. Then therefore that brings me to my third and final big revelation point, And that is this. His victory means our victory. Come on somebody. His victory means our victory. If he's conquered all things, and the greatest of all the enemies, of all the powers that be, is death. And he took death, and he conquered that. Then, friend, listen to me. His victory is our victory. Where, oh, death, is your sting? Look at that passage with me real quick and, uh, in First John. <clears throat> oh, I think I skipped it. Where was that at? There you go. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians, guys. 1 Corinthians 15. It says, and when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Because he's victorious, we are victorious. Death has no power over us. You say, oh, my friend is dying. Oh, pastor, pray for them. Are they a Christian? Yes, they love the Lord. It has no victory over them. It has no victory over them. My dad's here with me today. Many, many a time have I stood there with my dad as he went to the hospital. As one of his old smoke dope friends, was dying of cancer. And there, on their last few moments of life, having lived as rebels their whole life, refusing to serve the Lord, church being for weak ones, and there they are in that state where nothing else matters as death comes knocking at the door. And there my dad would stand with them, kneel sometimes beside their hospital bed, and look deep into their eyes and say, listen, you have but moments to live. But I want you to know, if you'll humble yourself and ask Jesus into your life and ask him to forgive you of your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You may have lived as a rebel your whole life, but there is still life inside of you and you have this moment to choose Christ. And to see those men barely able to move Hardly able to speak as cancer is eating up their bodies. And tears come streaming down their cheeks as they look at him and say, Mike, I want your Jesus. I want him to be my Lord. And dad sit there and lead them in a prayer of repentance and making Jesus their Lord. And then the joy of, of salvation coming over them as they realize death where is your sting? You've been swallowed up in victory. I have no fear of death because death means simply to be reunited with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friend, listen to me. He is victorious. He has won. And therefore, if he has won, we have won. He is the reigning victorious king. Look at this passage of scripture in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. It says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Are you born again? Say yes. Okay, three of you. That's good. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? 
Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you understand what this is saying? For us who call him Savior, for those of us who have faith, as it says, in Jesus, the same overcoming of the world that he had, we are able now. Listen, you should not be overcome by the wickedness of this world because you have to understand he overcame it, you can overcome it. You don't have to be bound to depression. He overcame it, you can overcome it. Come on, somebody. You don't have to be succumb yourself to sexual perversion and be totally messed up in your mind. Jesus was victorious over it. You can be victorious over it. The same victory that he possesses, we possess. And look at this next passage. I love this Ephesians. Hold on to Ephesians 4 real strong. 4 and verse 8. Write this in your Bible somewhere. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. When he ascended on high, he lived captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Let me explain to you what this is talking about. In the ancient world times, when an army would come into a province, a city, a state, and they would war and conquer it, they would take the king that had just been conquered, and they would bring that king out and all of his main subjects, all of his leadership. And the conquering king would take his foot as this one bowed and put it on his neck. And it would be a moment for a selfie. They didn't do it that way. They just wanted everyone to see and say, I was there when king so-and-so conquered king so-and-so. They would usually kill them on the spot, run them through with a sword. Sometimes that they would make them lame, cause them to be their slave. But there would be a conquering moment and all of the warriors, all of the soldiers, all of the force that had come with that king to conquer this area, this city, this state, whatever it may be, those warriors were standing there. And as they were standing there, all of the plunder of that city, the king, the conquering king would take that plunder and he began to distribute it to all the warriors that had fought alongside of him. Listen to me. Jesus conquered sickness. Satan is defeated. Disease has no power over Jesus. He conquered it. He now is distributing healing to all those who fight alongside of him. Listen, poverty was over come by Jesus. It's under his foot. Poverty and perversion is all under his feet. So he's able to take the plunder of finances and distribute it to those who fought alongside him. Prosperity can be ours simply because he conquered poverty. Come on, stay with me. If you understand that he is victorious king, he's not the little slave Jesus. He's not the little anorexic you know, Jesus on a cross who has no power. Listen to me. He laid his life down willingly and he now is reigning and ruling. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is victorious, and he will continue to be victorious. In high school, my folks moved me from public school to a private school, a Christian school. They thought that would help me grow in God. It taught me how to be carnal, but it was a good experience, I guess. In all my life as a child, I had played baseball and football. Those are my two sports. I loved them. And we went to this small private school now, and the only sport they could afford to have the kids get involved in was basketball. Not necessarily my calling. But since I played sports, I got involved in basketball. Well, the first two years, I I had the hardest time. I didn't understand if they had the ball, why couldn't I take them out? Why could I not knock them down and take the ball from them? It doesn't make any sense. They got a ball. 
They shouldn't have the ball. I want the ball. I hit them hard. And they would all, I'd foul out within the first few minutes of being in the game. And, and, uh, and, and, but the, the thing about this particular team is it had a couple stars on it, man. This school, there was a couple fellas, man, they could play some basketball. Boy, I tell you, they ended up all getting scholarships to colleges. And I, I didn't necessarily play basketball that well, obviously. But I started learning. And I, I didn't necessarily even get in the game the first couple of years. I set the bench and I hoorahed, go guys, yeah, all right. I was the ball boy during practice times. And I was the guy they beat on, you know. I had to play defense and say, this is how you take a charge. Adam, stand there, let's show them how you take it. And I, they ran me over time and time again. But after a few years of that, I got a little better and I got a little better. And finally, I got to start my junior year and then into my senior year. And I want you to know our senior year, we went 33-3. and We won the state championship. We had trophies galore. And as we stood there with those trophies, I didn't necessarily win those trophies, but I was a part of the team. Come on, somebody. I didn't make all those points, but I was on the team. Then just a few weeks, they're going to play a Super Bowl. And there's some guys on that team, they don't even ever grace the field. They simply sit on the bench in case anybody gets hurt. There are guys on that field that are going to score all the points. They're going to do all the main pushing and shoving and causing them to win. But friend, at the end of that Super Bowl, there's going to be a group of about 50 guys, and every one of them, whether they were the main player or not, will get a ring. Come on, somebody. They will get paid. Come on, somebody. They'll get to be on TV. Come on, somebody. They are a part of the winning team. Jesus paid it all. He went and conquered it all. We get to be on his team. You got to get a revelation of that. And if I'm on his team, then I get the benefits of what he conquered. I get the benefits that he overcame sin, death, and the grave. Are you with me? Say yes. The reason why this is so important, because so many of you live your lives just trying to make it. You don't understand that your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the victorious King. There is nothing that He submitted to save the Father. There is nothing that has power over Him. There is nothing that He is limited to. He is reigning and ruling. And the Bible says that we are seated with Him in heavenly places, that we are joint heirs with Christ. And so he overcame it, that means we have access to it. Come on, somebody. That means if he conquered it, that means we've conquered it through him, through Jesus Christ. That's what these passages of Scripture are talking about. And the problem that I have with most Christians is they live their life trying not to be bad, trying to be good, and they have no concept that their master, their Lord, their Savior is the reigning champ. He came to earth, and he conquered sin, death, and the grave. He's reigning and ruling in my life and in his church, the body of believers. And friend, one day, the whole world will turn against him. And they'll have a great battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And the peoples of the earth will gather to try to defeat Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you study your eschatology, the Bible says it like this, I'll illustrate it, that he jumps on his white horse, fire in his eyes. He comes to that battle. And as he gets to that battle, we're on our horses trying to keep up with him. And by the time we catch up to him, the battle is already over. The Bible says the blood is already up to the bridle of the horse. Because in one swift move, it's done. And it's over. Listen to me. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there will be a day where every man will confess that Jesus Christ is the conquering king. Hitler will bow down and say, 
I missed it. You were God and I wasn't. Alexander the Great will get down on his knees, weeping, tears, shivering as he's shaking, as he stands before Jesus Christ, thinking that he was the greatest conqueror of all the world. And literally, he will be cast into eternal darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth as he comes to the revelation, OMG, Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Listen, Attila the Hun, with all of his ruthlessness and all the fear that he created in everybody around him, he will have that moment where he shakes, realizing that my destiny is total separation from the living God. In hellfire and brimstone shall I be cast into it. Listen to me. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they say on TV. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what the popular people are saying in their songs. It doesn't matter what the politicians are saying. He is the victorious king. He is reigning and ruling. And friend, let me tell you something. No matter how great they are, one day they will stand before the great king. And they will bow their knee. And they will confess with their mouth. Friend, it will be too late for most of them. And in that moment, we'll stand there as joint heirs with Christ. And who humiliated us in this life, come on somebody, will stand in front of us humiliated in the life to come. You have a hope. It's in Jesus. You have a conquering king. He is victorious. And you need to walk throughout your day like your daddy is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That it's written, tattooed on his side and written on his garments. He is the victorious king. And that's your daddy. That's my daddy. Come on, somebody. He is reigning. And sickness has no power over you. You say, but I'm sick. Sure. And, and we're learning how to appropriate what he did for us. But it can't, what, what's it going to do? Kill you? Bring me into relationship with the father face to face? It has no power. You say, oh, you don't know what happened to me in my childhood. I don't. But stop giving it its power. There is a victorious king who reigns and rules over that. He said, oh, you don't know. You don't know what I'm going through. I don't. I don't have a clue. But the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has already put it under his feet. And you're on his team. And so you need to put it under your feet. And say, I'm going to just do what Jesus did. Like a little kid. Okay, I do what Jesus did. And put it under your feet. He said, oh, but it keeps getting back up. Then keep stepping on it. Because he is the victorious king. I thought today, to close out this message... How could I describe in a more eloquent form all that Jesus is? As we close out this series, I thought, how could I sit down and help you get a picture that he's more than just a feeble man on a tree? How could I help you see it? And as I sat down and began to try to articulate it, I came to a moment where I said, you know what, there's somebody who's articulated it a lot better than me. I found Dr. S.M. Lockridge's sermon where he talked about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Dr. Lockridge is a great hero in the faith, amazing man of God, a very articulate communicator. And I found his sermon where he asked the question, do you know him? That's my king. And I thought to close out this moment, instead of me trying to articulate how great of a king he is, that I would let Dr. Lockridge. 
Stand to your feet with me. King of kings and Lord of lords, we bless you in this moment. Come on, I want you to get a revelation as you go into 2016 that he is your king. He is victorious. He reigns and he rules. I want you to lift your hands and I want you to say to him right now, you are my king. You are my king.